Today, we continue our series interviewing all of the key candidates for your local races. While we have shut down so much of our town, we can't shut down our democracy. We'll be interviewing Dan Ryan, candidate for city council, position two. Let's get started with Dan Ryan. I think he's on the phone. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Jefferson. How are you? I'm holding up. How are you? That question feels to have a different kind of gravity now. It sure does. I'm holding up just fine. I am blessed to um, live in a home with water and uh, heat, and uh, so I realize that I have a privilege, and my partner actually works on the front lines working with um, homeless youth, so every day I'm aware of those people on the front lines. And it's uh, something we all have to be aware of. Anybody else in your household? Any any animals? Any other humans? I don't have any cats yet. Um, I was taken by the call to action, and um, I've been wanting to get a couple of kitties for a while. So maybe it's the time to uh, help out the shelter um, animals, and it'd probably do a lot of good for my heart and soul at this time. And talk about that. You said that is something that is just start. Word is starting to get out around. Make the plug for the pets. Well, the the plug that I've heard is that the shelters are overrun, and that it would really be the right time to help out our friends at the Humane Society. And also, it's a really important time in the social isolation for all of us to do some balanced um, emotional and spiritual care. And I know every time I've had a cat in the house, that's always helped me. I'm more of a cat person, um, and I love dogs as well. But I think that, you know, find your pet, but make sure you can add some more love into your home. I think about all of the people. I was going to say families, but I'm actually thinking about mostly individuals who are not only isolated from their typical workplace, not only isolated from much of their typical recreation, but who are also alone. And one of the roles I hope that all of us play, whether it's with our friends, with it's our, our acquaintances, uh, heck, and here on the radio, is to be that community, is to help people feel some sense of togetherness while we're apart. Dan Ryan has experienced... Oh, no, go ahead. Respond to that if you want to. Well, yeah, I think we're in this, um, this whatever this new normal is, about how we find our connectivity why we're doing really smart, necessary, rigorous social distancing. And I think as a culture, we've been doing a lot of isolation into our little fiefdoms for a while anyway. So one upside I'm noticing is that even in my neighborhood, which is pretty friendly, people when they're walking are so much kinder. And I do notice people are more open to um, engagement. And of course, since I'm running for office, it's one of the few retail politics moments I can have right now. I mean, I'm a people person, so when I'm on my runs and walks right now, I, it's great to have dialogue with actual residents. I think um, the door knocking is just different now. It's, um, it's when you're walking around on the streets and you're seeing one another. And I think bringing up, especially the elderly that are alone and isolated, and I think the other people I have so much compassion for right now are my friends with children. And um, yeah, it's, they sort uh, of the opposite problem. They've always been the first teacher, but now they're really being called to be the teachers. Yeah, they sort of the opposite problem of the person who's home alone. They're the person who's like, oh, geez, I wish I might be able to have a day alone. Right. <laughs> Dan Ryan is an experienced fundraiser, former school board member, and nonprofit executive, served as the executive director of All Hands Raised, 
The local Cradle to Career Initiative now is a candidate for city council, and we have a chance to get to know Dan and his vision for Portland. Dan Ryan, welcome. Who are you and why are you running? Well, I'm uh, born and raised here in Portland. I'm the youngest of eight with deep North Portland roots. I'm happily partnered. I'm really thinking third time's going to be the charm, Jefferson. Um, I just love my hometown. Uh, the first time I skipped school, I only did it one time, was to go to the 1977 championship um, parade with the Blazers. Where'd you go City. to school? I went to Roosevelt High School. Ro- which yeah, is beautiful Ryder. now. and the, It may have been yeah, beautiful then, um, but yeah. it's certainly beautiful now. And that you said third yeah, time's the charm. I kickoff there. I wanted to show off something that Portland can be proud of. Right. And but I really think this And you said needs, third you um, said third time's the charm. You you didn't mean running for office. You meant you in terms of what? Long-time long-time relationship? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've uh, I'm really close friends with my first two marriages if you will. Um you learn and you grow and now I'm blessed to be in my third long-term relationship. I just finished watching Tiger King. The actually that's not true. I just finished watching episode two of Tiger King. I'm still in the middle of it. I don't know if you watch Tiger King, but you know, if you say, you know I don't, but I'm gonna add it to my list. It's worth it, man. Yeah. It's worth it. All right, keep keep going. But Who I are you while you're running? Yeah, well I think the city just needs tested leadership. Um I'm very calm under crisis. I mean, my god, I have six older brothers. Um I have a track record of getting results with complex issues. Uh, high school graduation rates really did increase when we did community focus. And I, you know, I just got people knocked on my door um, and they said they wanted a grown up at this time. This is before COVID. I think um, it's also because I just be coming from 35 years of the nonprofit sector. You're so accountable for results or they literally won't fund you. And I've always liked how concrete the issues are and it really touches the lives of everyone every day. You don't become a part of a bubble. I've also always been a builder. I'm a change agent. That's just my story of my life. And, you know, I think the city was in pain before COVID-19. And so people really wanted someone that was innovative and could think out of the box. It's time to really, I don't know, I think the ideology purity that we can get lost in. And now we have a shared pain. And it's really great time for a connector who really thrives on testing and scaling up practices from the ground up and I think finally I don't know I'm not I've never been in the political space for too long I really think we have to stop blaming and complaining and really bring people together there's so much that we can agree upon and part of that is setting up creative tension the Portland nice thing doesn't work the bubble doesn't work you really need to bring people together that aren't usually sitting across from one another and I think it's time to really bring back the public-private partnership, the innovation to take off. You know, solutions are out there. They're just not always in City Hall. And so I'm a firm believer in making sure that we listen to the wisdom on the ground and then scaling up um, and doing it with shared responsibility and shared accountability. And, of course, shared credit. Everyone likes credit. I have so thought are, for a while. Like foundations I, yeah, of no, as a person and why I think I'll be good in this role. Appreciate it. I thought for a while that a nonprofit executive was a... Uh, potentially an excellent way of uh, entering into elected office. And and I don't mean is in, in terms of something that helps put you in a position to win, although that helps. You have a background in fundraising, for instance. Uh, but in governing, it means that for a long time you've had to live in a world of soft power. Very often we see the 
the business executive or the military person who gets into uh, politics and, you know, think Mike Bloomberg and they think it's going to be easy. And then all of a sudden they realize, oh, wait a minute. Generally, I've been able to get things done by giving bonuses or firing people or got, by court martials and promotions. And now I have to use the realm of persuasion and coalition building in, in order to accomplish things. And it's a different world. Talk about your uh, background with all hands raised. You can talk about school board if you want to. And how you think, uh, any specific ways you think it helped prepare you to do this thing? Yeah, I think on the big picture, I really appreciate the question, is that you're tested in, well, basically, the nonprofit sector is messy, and so is uh, being an elected official for your, for lo- in a local um, jurisdiction. So you have an acceptance about that. You, you won't survive unless you have some humility, and um, you realize that you always have to be client, patient, student-centered and it's not about you and if it becomes about you your board usually shows you the door and so you have a lot of accountability with the people that you bring to the board and also the the amazing staff that you get to train and 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 bring a part of the team team building is a big part of nonprofit success i um, really loved my experience at all hands race because it was so results focused we actually took continuous improvement work from the from the business sector, but brought it into the social space. And we thought it was really important to really look at metrics, to look at practices that we need to test, and then test them where the people are actually closest to the ground. So we included a lot of teacher voice, counselor voice, nonprofit partner voice. We brought the trades in. And, you know, because of that sausage making, if you will, the room was so much smarter than I am, that's for sure. So my skill is not about having to be the know-it-all it's about knowing who needs to be at the table and making sure that we stay focused on results and when we make a mistake admit it and be transparent about it but more importantly learn from it so you plan you study but you do it and then you and then you do it again but you do it with some new information i was really happy that our graduation rates in six years of this kind of community focus had graduation rates improved by 11.5 percent but what I was most proud of is that we focused on racial equity and we had more targeted strategies for, say, our African-American and Latinx students that we failed forever. And so their rates actually accelerated by five, by five points above the, the rest of the students. And that's something I'm really proud of. But that wouldn't happen if we didn't have that focus. This is one of the crowdest, most crowdest, I'm just going to say crowdest, most crowded fields for any campaign, for any city council seat since I can remember. And yeah, there's very often, I mean, you know, you run for mayor and you end up getting a, a dozen candidates who will sign up almost certainly in, in most years. But people who have some base of fundraising, some base of coalition history, some base of somebody who's going to endorse them, some reason to think that they might even be decent at the job or at least that a few people might vote for them. I mean, there are more than a half dozen people who would fit that criteria. And just to help people at home keep it straight, I'm not going to get through every candidate, but just so you, this is Nick Fish's uh, seat, uh, the dearly departed. Yeah. This includes Tara Hurst, we've interviewed, uh, Polo Catalani, Nova Newcomer, Loretta Smith, uh, Julia DeGraw, uh, who we just interviewed, uh, Margot Black, who's been on the show multiple times with her tenant work, uh, Sam Chase, uh, Dan Ryan on the phone right now. It's a really crowded race. How do you differentiate yourself? I mean, may, you, you, you can pile on to, well, I've got a track record of all hands raised, I've got a track record of building organizations, but what makes you better than them? 
I am a tested leader. I'm a leader that has proven that I'm willing to take on something complex. I come from the private nonprofit space as opposed to being a part of the government and political class for the last couple decades where things have not been moving very quickly, as you know. And I also have a history of building a team. I think a lot of elected officials don't put enough attention into who has the best staff and team to actually execute and get results. I really um, have a tested history in bringing uh, stakeholders to the table, which inspires um, you know, your constituencies because no one does anything alone. And you know, I think on a personal level, it's also I've come out about this of late because I think it's important. Um, you know, I've had HIV in, since the mid-80s, and it gives me a life experience perspective at this time of COVID-19. It's very different, of course. I don't want to pretend it's exactly the same thing. It's not. But boy, I remember what it was like to be dealing with an epidemic. I, re I remember what it was like when I was in a leadership role of watching the organic, creative innovation coming from the ground. And I also remember what it was like when I saw government be um, disrespectful, if you will, to some of that creativity that was rising up, whether it was my lesbian sisters in Seattle delivering soup to their brothers who were literally dying. Um, but then I saw that that was dismissed once the money showed up. So when people at All Hands Raise would always kind of acknowledge how obsessed I was at times with making sure we included worker voices, if you will, it's because I know that's where the action is and that's where the culture change always has to begin. And so I just want to say that I bring in some really good life experience. And I think that's the kind of leadership that Portland needs right now. And I'm also not attached to the ambition of going for another higher office. This is my destination. I would love to be of service to the city of Portland at this time in my life when I'm the most seasoned to be of service to the city of Portland. What's the biggest mistake or missed opportunity you think the city's made over the past four years? Oh, the biggest mistake I would say is I think a lot of it's a pattern where we, we proclaim a lofty promise and then I don't see the methodology of tracking any of the results. So I could start with um, Vision Zero. Um, great idea. Um, of course, we want to decrease the amount of um, safety. We want to improve the safety on our streets. But in fact, since that was adopted, which was a fine thing to adopt, we've actually seen a rapid increase in fatalities on our streets. And so at a midterm, um, if you were grading it in the education space, it would be that. And um, it's time to just acknowledge that, not shame anyone, but say this is really complex. Clearly, we have more to look at. But what I worry is what happens often in Portland and in the state of Oregon, we have this pattern of then blowing that up and then having another table come together and having another lofty process with maybe some new jargon, and yet nothing is really getting accomplished. So I think that we're lacking the accountability to our residents of this city on the big issues. I think with housing, it's the same thing. We pass the measures, and it's hard to really see if anything has happened. Like, Portland is notorious for taking the longest to go from um, a permit to, to digging dirt. And when you compare it to Beaverton or Milwaukee or Gresham, it's pretty embarrassing. And so where are the metrics um, that show us that we're really focused on doing that kind of improvement? So I'd bring that executive continuous improvement mentality 
as a leader, and I think it's something that's never, I haven't really witnessed that type of accountability. So let's take those. Let's take those on uh, in turn. Let's start with transportation. Uh, you mentioned Vision Zero. So what would you do? Do you think we've been spending too much on large highway projects? you think we've been spending too much time? I mean, the biggest projects in the region are expanding the I-5 freeway and then down the pike uh, try to, uh, trying to uh, build a mega highway called a bridge over the Columbia River. you think that stuff's a mistake? Where would you put the money instead? Well, I think we've spent too much time uh, planning, and I don't think we have any clarity about what our North Star is. So... What's the North Star for you? Our North Star on transportation is fresh air. And so, and I do think the one thing about COVID-19 right now is is that we hopefully will lean into that being one of our best commodities is our our clean air here in the Pacific Northwest. And so I think we just have to keep that as the number one focus. And then for me, then when you look at the, the road quarter situation, it's like, are you kidding me? You're really going to chip away at, at um, Harriet Tubman Middle School and increased carbon emissions to the kids there? Or are you really thinking about chipping away at the east side Esplanade, which is probably the biggest crown jewel of the city in the last 20 years? And ODOT has now revealed that it's up to about $800,000 to do this project anyway. Well, I don't know. I don't have the power to tell them what to do with their money, but in the bully pulpit, I will definitely let them know that they're their, uh, their expressways in, out in my neighborhood in North Portland, Columbia Boulevard, on 82nd, on Powell, when you get into the numbers, are some of the most unsafe corridors in our city. So it'd be nice if ODOT would perhaps pivot those funds um, that would actually really help Portlanders. How do you leverage either that bully pulpit or even just the position of city council to influence the uh, decisions on the, the I-5 freeway expansions, uh, both around the Rose Quarter and north of there? Well, as a team, I think the entire council with the mayor would have to be aligned on what our goal is. I think that one of the ills of the current form of government is that uh, we drift into our little silos of our bureaus. And one thing that you don't see in this form of government is that ability for all of us to focus on transportation, housing, and homelessness, and of course now COVID-19. And then as a team, we have to extend that, of course, to the county and to Metro, because the average voter really can't keep track of what role we're in, but they certainly expect us to be grown up and work together on these common solutions and not worry about who's getting more attention for credit for accomplishing anything, which I think, of course, does happen called politics. Now that I, I really oh, think ahead. we have this golden opportunity with COVID-19 to do a radical reset and really listen to these big, bold ideas that have been out there for decades. Why would it lead to a reset? Why wouldn't people just, and I will say, I'm not even disagreeing, my hope is not that we try to get things back to normal, that we try to use this as a chance to be better. But what makes you think that we'll reset as distinct from just trying to get back to normal, just be business as usual, which right now does seem nice? Well, I think it goes back to my experience with HIV. Um, I saw so many people that were behaving one way, suddenly have to behave a different way. Yeah, we felt isolated because we were, you know, marginalized. It was either Haitians or you were a gay person that was having too much sex and, you know, the demonization. But the fact is we found each other and we found ways to be kind. We found ways to really look at life in a different way and to build systems that really matter. Back to the story of my lesbian sisters delivering food. And so I do think when we're experiencing something this massive and, and downright emotional, um, it is our time to take this 
fluidity of this moment. There's just this willingness to accept big and massive change right now. And the fact is, locally, it's been rough. I mean, I, I have to say it's been discouraging that we had all the information that was not top secret. All you have to do is watch one of the news outlets and you saw what they're doing in China, South Korea, and Taiwan. And, you know, Jefferson, we also know that our state has the lowest number of hospital beds per thousand people at any state in the country. You take those two factors, and boy, we needed to be front and center and decisive on social distancing because we just don't have the infrastructure to handle this in the state of Oregon. And I really want to say that it, it's concerning because I feel like in, we, we're, we're now seeing what could come when you look at Italy, New York, and Spain. But do you, so I, really I, I want to go back to the question. You said you hope that COVID-19 yeah. leads to the reset or some sort of reset. How does that happen? you think it just happens sort of magically with people being, uh, like, the, change their worldview because they've gone through this shared experience of being isolated? Or do you think there's something that needs to be seized upon? And if there's something to be seized upon, what is that role of leadership? What do you do? I think it's both. I think that the soil, if you will, I gardened is one way to stay sane. And the soil is now nurtured for a tolerance to throw in the seeds of innovation and grow. When we were before this, I think there was way too much, um, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm pure, you're not, and um, stop it. The ills that have been holding the city back are shared. And what I've noticed when I talk to people in the city before this is that it didn't matter their demographic or even their political affiliation, which you get a sense of, um, and I'm glad this is nonpartisan, that everyone was complaining about the same things. And so, but we were getting lost in the nuance of identity dialogue, and it was preventing us from being Portlanders and neighbors that want to take care of one another. Well, now we have to take care of one another. We're going to be dead. And so that type of alarm, it shakes you up. And I'm just excited to be in a, at a time where I could be used as a leader and take the skills that I have and serve the city. Um, but no one is safe. But really right now, it's really an opportunity to really care for our elders. Especially. I have been hearing about the challenges with permitting in Portland. I think since I was a small boy, certainly since I've started paying attention to the city of Portland, if I was talking to uh, a liberal activist, I've been hearing about problems with the police bureau since I was a small boy. If I'm talking to a business person in Portland, I too, you know, am a, am a PIL kid at Grant High School. If I uh, talk to a business person, certainly for the last 20 years plus, what I'll hear about is that it takes too long to get a permit. What would you do about that? And, and I've, I've wondered, I sort of listened and said, yeah, it's a hassle. I've actually interacted myself with, a, uh, with that division and wondered why uh, some of it seems sort of Byzantine and where one person wasn't able to connect enough of the dots. What do you think the challenge is and or what do you think the solution is? Well, I think everyone knows the challenges. I think even the most um, green-centered um, developer has given uh, has a lot of patience and they love the city but boy do they get frustrated um i think the covid crisis would for one would help us really figure out how to be more swift with our online virtual capabilities um you, you don't want to keep hearing the excuse that it somehow went to this other bureau we, which you have no idea why it's there and an attorney found a mistake and therefore you have to get the wheelbarrow and put it back to the other bureau um so of course 
course, there's a systemic opportunity, but also I think there's just going to be less tolerance for status quo explaining why something just can't happen. Um, it just, I think there'll be less, less tolerance for those type of excuses, and we need to be grown up and figure out how to deliver. But how do we? How do we? Because there have been, there have been smart people who, with good yeah. values and track records, yeah. who've been running on speeding up permitting in Portland since the dawn of time. But in that same period of time, Jefferson, it seems like we've added more bureaus that could have a point of view on the topic. And so I haven't seen the blueprint that shows how you would do the efficiency here. And of course, we should do a real continuous improvement um, analysis of this and measure um, how we're going to, to improve the process. And with everything, whether it's building more units, which we've been slow on, um, whether it's improving the safety in our streets, whether it's improving the imp uh, permit process, government needs to be more transparent about its results. Like I, I picture a billboard going over the, you know, the Broadway Bridge or the Burnside Bridge. I guess there's no billboards on Broadway. You know what I mean? We need more um, dashboards, um, scoreboards that people can see um, how we're making progress. Like I can't tell in my neighborhood if there's been any new pavement of sidewalks. Um, I would like to know that when we pass the gas tax, that it's actually going to um, improve uh, conditions in my neighborhood. I think Portlanders are having trouble seeing the results of their investment, and that's what I would want to really be dogged about as a leader on city council, because that's what you have to do in the nonprofit space. There are... Uh a lot, I, I hear a lot of agreement among candidates. And I know how that happens, right? Because people have to go through the same gauntlet, not only to think of themselves as possible member of city council, but also go through the same, very similar, pretty much identical gauntlet of endorsement interviews and then of debates. And they sort of see the same voting landscape. And it's not like they have to run in a primary of one political party and then run in the generals, which requires some differentiation. And there starts to be some degree of consensus. I think this happens very much with kind of the Portland liberal tribe, that there grows this sense of consensus. Now, that is wonderful when that Portland liberal tribe is right about something. It is wonderful when there is a solution, a solution that's clear that just needs a lot of people to nod their heads, then we nod their heads. There is So at the best sense, it's consensus. The worst sense, it gets to be groupthink. What is a place that you disagree with a bulk of the candidates who are running this race? The sad news is we haven't had as many public forums to get to know one Fair point. as we were at the very beginning. But I would say that um, when I listen to the homeless uh, strategies, I often feel like it gets summarized as just a home for everyone. And... That's personal for me. Um, my third oldest brother, Tim, passed away on the streets. Um, he was homeless, but more importantly, he had a triple diagnosis. And the amount of medication he took over the last 10 years for him to think he was still insane or to not feel his madness and his pain was severe. All of us in our family tried to house him, but he needed a complex services. Um, and we have those services in our communities and we need to have shelter that has those in place. Um, and so I would say that it's like grow, planting a tree without soil and water when you put somebody in that condition into housing. 
And so we just have to really tie our solutions to sustain, sustaining community. And I think sometimes we are tone deaf about the complexity of this issue. And instead, we want to just tie it all into housing. And that's why I decouple the two. We have low-income housing needs for sure, and that's a big, big focus, and it's a supply and demand challenge. But then we have this streaming challenge of how to care for those that really need deeper services. And it's that wraparound complexity, which I know we talk about, but I don't see enough of that in the solution. And I don't think the right people at the table. I think we have too many people at the table that are getting the government contracts, which makes you complacent and consensus building, because basically you have to kiss the ring to make sure you keep getting the contract. So it's important, again, to make those tables. So how do you break that up? Break. You just said something potentially really important, that you, you call this table around, and, and a bunch of people there are getting are getting state money, city money, county money in yeah. order to run yeah. their nonprofit organization. And so they're not yeah. going to say, uh, hey, dearly departed Nick Fish, go jump in a lake. You're totally wrong about this. Instead, you're, right. you're going to say, oh, I have a feeling here. I thought I think about here. And it, no, they uh, say that when they're in the parking lot, but they don't say it in the meeting. That's the Portland way, right? <laughs> so you need to create a meeting so it has a diversity of opinion, which includes private industry, because they care about this issue as well. We've had a tendency to push out um, our small business and our businesses in these tables. And I really think it's so important to have that private public partnership and again, have people that are affected by the issue, that care about the issue, but not just have it be the usual suspects that are receiving the government funds. Otherwise, you don't get to the honesty and the tension and the conflict that is necessary to do the sausage making that allowed us to actually get results at all hands raised because our tables were built with that creativity. I want to ask a couple issues that, uh, you know, they're not, as you said, as many public forums, but they are, one is a past issue, one is maybe a future issue. How do you feel about publicly financed elections, and how would you feel about a public bank? What was the second part? A public bank. Oh. Um, Well, the first one I can say is it's awesome in terms of allowing... um, all of us to be on the same playing field. So, you know, we all have the same revenue ceiling. We all are playing by the same rules that are a part of the open election process. And so I'm grateful for that. Um, your open bank idea is fascinating. Uh, I, I'm open to <laughs> having further dialogue with you about that. Um, I think that the paradigm of our financing is needs to be blown up. I think it was right to make sure that we can't evict, evict people from their um, apartments. But we have to really extend that to our small business owners. We are, a, we are a service town. We are a foodie town. And I'm just sad about all our restaurants that are closed, that always live on tight profit margins, that employ so many people who just happen to be really liberal as well. And they need, they need to also be a part of the sacrifice. They're sacrificing, and we need to help them out too. So I really urge the city council to do the right thing and take their policy that they're doing for renters to extend that to my friends who are really trying to stay um, afloat and have the infrastructure in place so they can quickly hire back their employees when it's okay to come out again. In our last few minutes, I know that there are, and you mentioned the number of forums. One that does uh, happen that we're involved in at X-Ray is the is the City Club series, and something that one habit, one rule that City Club has is they 
only have four, only generally include four people in a particular debate. Now, you know, if you've got uh, one Republican and one Democrat nominee, that's one thing. But in a city with uh, nonpartisan races, well, yeah, usually it kind of whittles down pretty quickly. In this race, it seems to me <laughs> there are at least six or seven people that in a typical year would end up on a four-person stage so that people would have a choice. Are they going to cram in six or seven? Are they going to cram in 18? Are they limiting it to four? And if they're limiting it to four, cure my ignorance, have they selected the four yet, and how are they doing it? Well, that's a great question. They, um, I haven't heard back, but... Um, I hope that they look at this position to race differently than the other ones yeah. because of the portionality of candidates. And the rule is four, but um, I think that there could be, I hope, some flexibility from the good people at the City Club to consider adding a couple more because this race is very unique, as you said. I can't keep track um, on how many people are running and but you know my job is to just stay focused on the race i'm running i don't really care how many people are running i'm here to serve this city i'm here to make sure that everyone knows that i have the right experience at the right time to serve all portlanders i'm gonna um listen i'm gonna make mistakes the boy i'm gonna get right back up and learn from them and keep innovating with you at a time where we have this awesome opportunity when we come out of this to really do some paradigm shifts with a $5.6 billion organization, which is the second to third largest in our market called the city of Portland, start to operate with some efficiencies and some results that can continue to make all of us so proud that we live here. How do you get that to be sexy? How do you, because I, you know, I'm a good government nerd and I actually, to me, it is kind of sexy to get how, if you can make these engines run more efficiently, you can do more good. But how do you get that to be interesting to people? How do you get process stuff to be interesting and important to people? Well, everyone seems to be interested, not just, you know, of course, in COVID-19, but also in the three big ones that I mentioned. And I think if the city council actually stays focused on those big issues and includes more community organizations and businesses and the voice and trades in that process, then that's how you do it. You just we have a we do a lot of drive-by engagement, like check off the box. We we did a survey, but really you have to include their brains in the process, and not just want them to, you know, give you money or or be on the other side of of, of giving them money. So I really think that that's the golden opportunity, and the, the charter change will allow that to happen. I want to also say that we always have to focus on the other big three, which allows us to feel connected as a community. And that for me, that's always first and foremost going to be schools and, of course, the arts and our parks. And I'm really hoping that our parks right now can be more of a tool during this time. I've been really impressed with the uh, grocery stores and the implementation of social distancing. I think that you could have um, city park employees in our parks right now wearing something that makes them pop out that connects with people, but also reminds them that social distancing in our parks is important, but we also um, should allow people to get some fresh air. What's your biggest weakness as a candidate or as a leader? <laughs> my biggest weakness is that um, I'm really, really, really hard on myself, and I. Um, all right, all right, I got to stop you there. Yeah. That, that's, 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 that's like, oh, I'm a perfectionist. What are you bad at? Oh, I'm a perfectionist. Like, I work too hard. I lack work-life balance. What, what, what's a general weakness? What's an, what's a genuine weakness? My um, that. 
I my my I know what my strengths are, and I try to play to them all the time. Um, my um, I, I I'm so stumped by this question because I don't really hang out there because I always hire to my weaknesses. So when I'm building a team, there's this long list of weaknesses that I might have, and I um, make sure that they're filled up. So then you should be pretty cognizant of it. What do you hire for because you know it's not your strong suit? Oh yeah. So I I love. Um, I like analytics, and I like them in, a, in to be really um, clear for me. So I love hiring people that just want to dive into the complexity. I'm um, kind of a dinosaur with technology, so I always make sure I have you know younger people around me that can make sure that I can access and use it properly. Um, yeah, so those are just a couple examples of um, the type of people that need to be on my team, and boy, do I appreciate them. <laughs> Dan Ryan, any closing word you have? Anything I should have asked that I didn't? This was a really wonderful conversation, Jefferson. I really appreciate it. I am the only one thing I could pop out is that at one of our forums, they asked what quadrant people were from, and they did all four, the first four. They didn't say North. In fact, they just didn't say North Portland. So I had to raise my hand and go, what about North Portland? And then I found out at that evening that of all of the races, I'm the only person running from North Portland. And I'm really proud of that, of course, as a Roosevelt graduate. Dan Ryan, candidate for city council, thank you so much for being with us. You're so welcome, Jefferson. Have a great day. I'm glad you're here. You're listening to X-Ray. I'm Jeff Smith. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening to us live. We are donning our rubber gloves, separating ourselves in different rooms, operating from remote in order to continue to operate, to fulfill our FCC obligation of continuous operation, to continue our emergency service obligation, and maybe most importantly, to continue to lean into our mission to provide you the information so that you can make your choices in the coming elections. This is part of our Vision 2020 series. You can also check it out on the internet at xraypod.com. You can access that through the main website at xray.fm. You're listening to X-Ray, and radio is yours.